European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 37, Issue 16, Focus Issue on Acute Coronary Syndromes, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Acute Coronary Syndromes, Mechanisms, Reperfusion Injury, Antithrombotic Therapy, and Current Outcomes. The management and outcome of acute coronary syndromes, or ACS, and, as a consequence, outcomes, have improved impressively over the last decades, but they remain the most important cause of rehospitalization, reinterventions, heart failure, and death. To further reduce infarct size and thus ameliorate clinical outcome, current guidelines recommend early detection with high-sensitive troponin assays, ECG and imaging in those with non-ST segment myocardial infarction, and, if required, urgent primary percutaneous coronary intervention, PCI, particularly in STEMI. In STEMI, reperfusion after longer periods of ischemia may cause myocardial injury. Thus, based on experimental findings, cardioprotection against reperfusion injury with either mechanical, ischemic post-conditioning, remote ischemic preconditioning, therapeutic hypothermia and hypoxemia, as well as pharmacological interventions, atrial natriuretic peptide, cyclosporine A, and exenatide, have been investigated. Cardiac stem cell treatment has also been suggested to reduce infarct size and negative remodeling of the left ventricle that may further improve symptoms and prognosis. Fabrizio Montecuccio and colleagues from the University of Genoa in Italy review these topics in their article Pathophysiology of ST-Segment Elevation Myocardial Infarction, STEMI, Novel Mechanisms and Treatments. Dual antiplatelet therapy, DAPT, with aspirin and a P2Y12 receptor inhibitor is essential in the treatment of ACS patients immediately before and after primary PCI. In recent years, the most appropriate timing for initiation, and particularly the duration of P2Y12 receptor inhibition, has been in the center of interest. In their review, Pre-treatment with P2Y12 inhibitors in ACS patients, who, when, why, and which agent. Dirk Sibbing, from the Deutsche Herzzentrum in Munich, Germany, discusses the issue in great depth. One issue is the usefulness of pretreatment with P2Y12 receptor inhibitors upstream of coronary angiography and PCI. Recently, two randomized trials evaluated the value of pretreatment with disappointing results, one in NSTEMI, i.e. the ACOST trial, and in a second one in STEMI, i.e. the Atlantic trial. Neither of these, however, answered all questions. Indeed, given the recent approval of the intravenous and rapidly acting P2Y12 inhibitor Cangrelor, the issue got a new twist. The authors evaluate and discuss the available evidence regarding the value of pretreatment with the now available four oral and intravenous P2Y12 inhibitors that can be administered to patients in whom coronary angiography followed by possible primary PCI is planned. As an extension of the review by Montecuccio and colleagues, see Michael Gibson and colleagues from the Perfuse study group tested a cell permeable peptide, i.e. MTB131, that experimentally preserves the integrity of cardiolipin, 
enhances mitochondrial energetics, and improves myocyte survival during reperfusion. In their Embrace STEMI study, a phase 2A trial to evaluate the safety, tolerability, and efficacy of intravenous MTP-131 on reperfusion injury in patients undergoing primary percutaneous coronary intervention, they report the results of a multicenter randomized double-blind phase 2A trial that evaluated the efficacy and safety of MTP-131 compared to placebo infused at a rate of 0.05 mg per kilogram per hour for one hour among patients with a first anterior STEMI undergoing primary PCI for a proximal or mid-left anterior descending artery occlusion. The authors conclude that administration of MTP-131, as many molecules studied previously in this context, was not associated with a reduction in the primary endpoint of infarct size by CKMB area under the curve over 72 hours, nor was it associated with an improvement in MRI, angiographic, electrocardiographic, or clinical outcomes. The progress made in management of ACS, even in the last years, is remarkable. Real-world data from Switzerland are provided in the paper Temporal Trends in the Treatment and Outcomes of Elderly Patients with Acute Coronary Syndrome by Paul Erner on behalf of the AMIS Plus investigators. They prospectively analysed between 2001 and 2012 the use of guideline-recommended therapies and in-hospital outcomes among 13,662 ACS patients 70 years of age or older. Between first and last four years, the use of guideline-recommended drugs and of primary PCI use increased from 44% to 70% of older ACS patients. Concomitantly, in-hospital decreased from 12% to 10%, and major adverse cardiac and cerebrovascular events from 14% to 11%. Primary PCI was used increasingly and successfully in older and comorbid patients. The authors conclude that over a recent 12-year period use of guideline-recommended therapies in ACS increased and in-hospital outcomes improved. Antithrombotic therapy is essential for outcome of primary PCI, particularly in STEMI. As such, the Horizons and other trials found a survival advantage for bivalirudin over heparin plus glycoprotein 2B-3A blockers during primary PCI for STEMI. However, subsequent studies have produced divergent findings. In the third paper, bivalirudin, glycoprotein inhibitor, and heparin use, and association with outcomes of primary percutaneous coronary intervention in the United Kingdom. Alexander Serka and colleagues from the University College London Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust in the UK investigated this issue in the so far largest population using the UK PCI registry of 61,136 patients. Unadjusted data demonstrated near-identical survival curves for bivalirudin and heparin plus glycoprotein 2B-3A blockers groups. Of note, early and late mortality was higher in patients treated with heparin alone, but this group also had a markedly higher baseline risk. After propensity matching, 
The bivalirudin versus heparin plus glycoprotein 2b slash 3a blockers groups had similar adjusted mortality. Patients treated with heparin alone continued to show higher mortality, although the effect size was considerably diminished at 30 days, with an odds ratio of 1.17 to 1.24. Thus, in STEMI patients undergoing primary PC, short or medium-term mortality was similar, regardless of whether bivalirudin or heparin plus glycoprotein 2b slash 3a blockers were used. The paper is accompanied by an editorial by Peter Vidimsky from the Charles University in Prague, Czech Republic. Growth differentiation factor 15, GDF15, appears to predict death and cardiovascular events in patients with different cardiovascular conditions, but confirmation in truly large prospective cohorts is missing. In the fourth paper, GDF15 level predicts major bleeding and cardiovascular events in patients with acute coronary syndromes results from the PLATO study. Emil Hagström and the PLATO investigators studied the independent associations between GDF15 levels and major bleeding, the extent of coronary lesions, and events in 16,876 patients with ACS. During a 12-month follow-up, GDF-15 levels were related to extent of coronary artery disease and to all types of non-CABG-related major bleeding, spontaneous myocardial infarction, stroke, and death. After adjusting with Cox proportional hazards models, one standard deviation increase in GDF-15 remained associated with increased risk of major bleeding with a hazard ratio of 1.37 and with a similar increase in risk across different bleeding locations. For the same increase in GDF-15, the hazard ratio for the composite of cardiovascular death, infarction, and stroke was 1.29, 1.41 for cardiovascular death, 1.41 for all-cause death, 1.15 for spontaneous infarction, and 1.19 for stroke. The authors conclude that in ACS, higher levels of GDF-15 are associated with an increased risk of major non-CABG-related bleeding, spontaneous infarction, and stroke, as well as mortality. Thus, in ACS, GDF-15 seems to improve risk stratification beyond established risk factors. The paper is accompanied by an editorial by Kai C. Wollett from the Hanover Medical School in Germany. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.